The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, believe it or not, ready or not, it is Advent time already, the time of church, or the time um, in the year where the church observes this, this period that starts four Sundays before Christmas, where we reflect upon the first Advent, the first coming or arrival of Jesus at the Incarnation, and we also look forward in, in hopeful expectation, right, to the, to the second coming, the return of, of Christ Jesus. And every year here at Two Pillars, uh, we preach through an Advent series, and, and this year our series is on joy, joy. And, and I want to tell you a little bit about where this, this comes from. This past January, we were together in an elders retreat, um, and, and one of the things that we do in an elders retreat is sort of assess and look forward and plan and these sorts of things. And, and during that, Pastor Ben brought this, this desire of his forward for us to consider adding a seventh core value for us as a church centered on joy. Now, back up just a little bit further, okay, if you're not aware or if you're new around here, we have six core values as a church. It's helpful to think of them maybe as cultural cornerstones for our church. These have to do with the the culture of our church, how you, how we, how others experience two pillars, Um, things that are true of us that we always want to be true of us, or perhaps in, in the case where maybe a value is a little bit more aspirational in nature, things that we want to be increasingly true of us and always true of us. And so we have a mission statement, uh, which tells us what is it that we're trying to do. We have a doctrinal statement, right, which tells us what is it that we believe. And then we have core values, which are more experiential, like this is who we are, okay? Uh, there's six of them. You can find them on our website. I'm also going to remind you of them quickly this morning. Number one, we are gospel-centered, right? Meaning everything that we do centers around the gospel, all right? The, the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, reign, and rule, right? So all, everything, our, our shepherding, our preaching, our teaching, our liturgy, our gospel communities, our membership, how we serve, okay? How we lead, how we engage others outside of the church, the gospel saturates Everything we do around here, not just in theology, but in practice. Not just in orthodoxy, but orthopraxy. Number two, we, we live dependently. This is the second core value. We, we, we are needy people, okay? And we know that. We, we are utterly dependent upon God, upon God's word, upon the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit. Okay, and so we, we live, though, in this culture, especially in the Midwest, we live in a culture that prides itself on self-sufficiency. It's overt in in a lot of ways, and it's covert in many, many more, okay? So to acknowledge that we are a dependent people, dependent upon God's word and his spirit and each other through the the body of Christ, to to do that is countercultural. And this is something that marks us. We, We want it to always mark us as a church. We're needy, every one of us, which leads us to the next core value, we care for one another. As the body of Christ, we are called to love and serve one another and carry out the one another's of Scripture together. This isn't a solo project. This isn't you and Jesus. This is us together as a church. And so if the, if the prior value stresses the fact that we are needy, right, this one stresses that we are also needed. Every single one of us, we are both needy and needed in the body of Christ. This is one of the reasons why gospel communities are so important to us around here. It's a context. It's the primary context that our church, that we create intentionally to foster the living out of the one another's of Scripture. Number four, 
We speak truth in love. We pursue unity and maturity and purity by speaking the truth in love, boldly proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Right? We, we don't speak, we're not here to speak our truth. We're, we're here to speak God's truth. We are people of the word and we speak the word. We do it regularly. We do it in love. But we do hold one another accountable. And so we encourage and we exhort and we rebuke one another with the truth of God's word. And guess what? That's messy. And so number five, we embrace the mess. We embrace it. Living out the gospel both in community and on mission is often difficult and messy. And guess what? We're okay with that. We're all right with that. We are sinners saved by grace here. None of us is perfect. None of us are perfectly righteous. We've been counted righteous. We're being made righteous. And not until Christ returns, the second advent, will we become fully righteous. And that means right now, there's a mess. There's a mess. I mean, life is hard, you know? Uh, For the singles in the room, dating is hard. For the marrieds in the room, marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. Being a Christian is hard because being a human is hard, you know? Uh, as humans, we have sins, wounds, and weaknesses. We have doubts, fears, and challenges. We are fallen, finite, and fragile. We don't have it all figured out. <laughs> we don't have it all together. And so we cultivate an environment here where others experience this is a place where I don't have to have it all together. And now when we say that we embrace the mess, what we don't mean, okay, what we don't mean is that we embrace it in a passive, sin-excusing, license-giving way. No, in the mess, core value number six now, we seek depth. We seek depth. We, we, we strive to move beyond the superficial, seeking depth in our communion with God, our holiness, our relationships, theology, worship, maturity, and cultural engagement. Okay, we're not interested in keeping things just at the surface level. Uh, We're not interested in embracing the mess in a way that doesn't pursue deep transformation. We're not interested in the superficial. No, the church is a family, and families, what they do is go deep together, sometimes whether we like it or not. Now, those are the six, and as we reflected on those as elders, Pastor Ben said, hey, I I think we're missing something here. I think something's missing. He said, I really think that joy ought to be something that marks us, as a cultural cornerstone, if you will, something that we ought to be always pursuing. It's something that we want to be experienced by ourselves and by others as they encounter us, both individually and corporately, both inside the walls of this building, okay, and outside them in the rest of our lives, our neighbors, our coworkers, our extended family. And as we worked that out, we landed on some wording for a, a seventh core value here. It's this, that we fight for joy. We fight for it. We seek to rejoice in suffering, life, and worship. And we decided to use this Advent season, this Advent series, to really focus on joy as we introduce it as a new core value for us um, as a church. So turn your Bibles now to Philippians 1. That was the passage that Harmony just read. That's where we're going to start at. Each week, this, this Advent season, we're going to be talking about joy, and each week from a little bit different angle, okay? And I, I don't know about you, but this topic um, is extremely timely for me, especially that language there about fighting for joy. That's, that's really timely for, for me. I, I don't know about you, but for the last, when I think about the last 20 months, you know, if I break out the thesaurus of emotions to choose some words to describe myself... Uh, joy isn't actually one that trickles to the top of the list very quickly for me, all right? Um, I wish it was, uh, but I'm learning to fight for it. 
I'm growing and fighting for it. If I'm being real honest with you this morning, it's a fight. It's a fight. Uh, earlier this week, when I sat down to, to write this sermon, I didn't want to. <laughs> All right? I didn't want to. And, and the, the reason for that is, um, if you've ever tried to, you know, teach on joy before or preach a sermon on joy, believe it or not, it's really hard to do if you're not just brimming with it for, with yourself to begin with. It's difficult. And this sermon... Um, therefore, it's just as much, if not more, for me this morning as it is for you. Welcome to Two Pillars, by the way, okay? We're going to embrace the mess this morning whether you want to or not, aren't we? Yeah. Now, Philippians 1, Philippians 1. I'm going to be leaning a little bit on a message that I heard preached to a room full of pastors uh, this summer, which was helpful for me on the topic of joy. It still is. Okay, so I'm leaning on some of that this morning as I preach to myself and to you as well. I'm going to start reading here in verse 18, um, the middle of it actually there, just to give a little bit more context. And then what we're going to do is zoom in there a little bit more on verse 21, all right? Here's what Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Don't go to the next slide. Let's say that last verse out loud right there. Verse 21, ready? For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in you, sorry, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you Again, some context here, all right? Paul is in a hard place. Um, he's writing from prison, if you didn't know that. He, he's writing from prison probably in Rome, probably around the year A.D. 62. He's writing to the church in Philippi, which would have held a very special place in his heart. It's the first church he ever planted. And the church in Philippi is, is hurting. They're hurting. They're in a hard place. He's in a hard place. They don't know if, if he's going to live or die. He, Paul doesn't either. He doesn't know. And in the middle of all that, it seems that Paul is as joyful as he can be in Jesus. Yes, and I will rejoice, he starts. Here's something that we need to say from the jump, and it's this. that Joy and sorrow are not mutually exclusive in the Christian life. They're not. They can coexist. In fact, Paul makes that explicit in 2 Corinthians 6 when he describes his ministry, actually, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And Paul, what he's doing here in this passage in Philippians 1, did you notice he's preaching to himself? That's what he's doing. It's almost like he's verbal processing. He's processing out loud. He's, he's preaching to himself, which is what we all need to do, especially when we're fighting for joy. Times are hard for Paul. He's filled with sorrow, and yet he preaches to himself, yes, I will rejoice. And he works through this. We, we get, as he works through it, we get a window into his heart. 
Look again at verse 21. Let's, let's actually read that out loud again together. I want you to take this with you. Out loud together, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What exactly does that mean? Well, he elaborates on it, doesn't he? Let's, let's break it in half, and let's actually look at the second half first. What does Paul mean when he says, to die is gain? What could that mean? Look at verse 23. He actually tells us exactly what he means by it in verse 23. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Why? For that is far better. Now, if you're a good reader of the Bible, you read that, and he says, far better, and you say, far better than what? Well, if we understand Paul's argument here, we understand that Paul means far better than ministry, far better than the life that he has, far better than living as an apostle of Jesus, far better than anything here under the sun. Do you agree with that? Have you thought this through that, 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 that you know, not just on, your, not just on a, a terrible day when you're thinking irrationally, <laughs> not just on your best day when you're really thinking rationally, have you realized that your worst day in heaven will be far better than your very best day here ever? Do you get that? you believe that? Remember when my first daughter was born, you know, becoming a parent for the first time is amazing. And don't get me wrong, it's terrifying too. I had no idea what I was doing. It was way over my head, but it is amazing. I, I remember thinking very clearly, I'd been a Christian for about two and a half years up to that point. I remember thinking, Lord, please let me live long enough to see her grow up. Is that weird? <laughs> you know, I, I, re I remember thinking, I don't want to die. I don't want to miss any, any aspect of this little nugget's life, you know? And there's some pretty good stuff in this world. There's some pretty cruddy stuff, too, that I'm eager to, to leave behind. But there's some amazing stuff in this world as well. Can you say with Paul, though, to die is gain? You really feel that way? If not, then I want to suggest that you have a problem with expectations. Here's what I mean. Your expectations for what this world can provide, what this life can deliver, are far too great. And your expectations for what it means to live with Jesus in his presence forever in heaven are far too small. To die is gain, Paul says. And when I say that, please don't hear me suggesting for a millisecond that you take this matter into your own hands. I lost one of my best friends from high school this year to suicide. I never want to go through that again. If you're here and you're anywhere within a 10-mile radius of that, please, please, Come talk to one of your pastors. There's no, nobody here is going to shame you. We get it. We know. We're all needy. We embrace the mess. We care for one another, remember? Those aren't just value statements on a website. We mean it. 
Come back to the text. That was the second half of verse 21. Let's look at the first half next. What does it mean when Paul says, for me to live is Christ? What does he, what does he mean by that? Well, he explains that too if we jump down to verse 24. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You see what he's saying? To live is Christ. You know, Paul's not saying that he wants to live like I want to live in a cabin in the woods in Wyoming by myself sometimes for a long time. That's not what he's saying. It's not to say that time's away and vacation and rest, that that's all bad. We probably all need that after the last 20 months, right? But the essence of joy here, Paul says, is pouring himself out for others. You see that? That's what it means to say to live is Christ. I mean, pour yourself out for others. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? Paul is saying here that the essence of joy is pouring himself out for the, other, for the sake of others. Don't miss this. So that those others may find joy in Jesus. Do you see it there? For your progress in joy, he says. So that you'll have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, he writes. Listen, no matter where you're at on the joy scale this morning, like the pain scale, only for joy, Okay? Uh, with a one being, I'm not joyful at all. Ten being, I can barely contain myself, you know. Uh, wherever you're at on that scale, we can all get in on this. And this is where joy comes from. Well, two weeks ago, um, I was driving here early in the morning and um, getting ready to preach on the first half of Romans chapter 4. I was really looking forward to that. I, I, I mean, on how justification works. So I'm driving down Sheridan Boulevard at like 5.30 in the morning, just blaring music in my AirPods, just singing out loud. Like there are probably people inside their houses along Sheridan saying, what is that funny noise? Because they can hear it through my pickup windows, right? And so I'm driving here, just worshiping. I'm so excited to come and to preach on justification. And I'm thinking back over all the years, right, and all the, all the sermons that I'd heard on justification and how the Holy Spirit has used that doctrine to radically transform my heart and really get a hold of the gospel, right? And so I'm, I'm driving here, and I couldn't wait. I'm going to preach this doctrine, and I'm excited, and I'm expectant for what God does through the preaching of his word through regular old Joes like me, right? And I got here. I got here early, and I prepped up, and I preached. I mean, preaching takes a weird energy. It's like emotional, spiritual, physical, mental, all of them. I'm tired. Did it twice, you know? Had a meeting afterwards, and I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going home, and I'm just so full of joy. Now, listen. I was tired, but it's also full of joy. Here's the point. Tiredness and joy aren't mutually exclusive either. We need to understand that if we're going to understand joy and pouring ourselves out for others. Listen, you don't have to be a preacher to experience this. You don't have to be a preacher to experience. When you go to your gospel community, when you come here on Sundays, when you engage with someone, listen to them, pray for them, encourage them. When you join your voices with other voices in this room and we sing together. When you serve in some capacity. This is what serving is all about, by the way. 
In kids' ministry and music and slides and safety and security and sound, first impression, these are all small opportunities. They're not chores. They're small opportunities to, for you to give of yourself for the sake of others so that others may experience more joy in Jesus. When you bless someone on your street, when you meet a, a tangible need, when, when you invest relationally in someone at work and who's far from God and you labor in prayer over them because you really, really, really want them to know Jesus, there's joy in that. There's joy in the pouring out. Paul's summary, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We can put that now in different words. This isn't original to me, but we can phrase it, flushed out a little now is this, that lasting joy, or real joy, Christian joy, none of that pseudo stuff that the world's into. We're talking real joy is in looking forward to being with Jesus forever while living for others now. Lasting joy is in looking forward to being with Jesus forever. And that's coming. Oh man, it's coming. He's coming. It's Advent. It's part of Advent is us looking forward to being with Jesus forever. And it's going to be awesome. I mean more awesome than we can imagine. Joy is in that. Yes and amen. While living for others now. Where are you at? Are you joyful? Do that scale thing, 1 to 10, the joy scale. How would you grade yourself? We did this a couple Monday nights ago in our leadership development night. It's this thing that we do once a quarter on, on a Monday night where we get all of our leaders together. And we ask this question. I gave everyone a, a sticky note we, and, and asked them to put it on the board on the joy scale. And said, don't, don't just take the, an instantaneous reading, like a meat thermometer. No, not just, a, not just an instantaneous reading. Like Think over the past few weeks of your life. The highs and the lows, right? Like if you, if you just take the, the high, like that I had in preaching Romans 4, and you, you sub out the low that I had Tuesday morning when I woke up, the reading's going to be off. And we did this with our leaders. We said over the last few weeks, what's it look like? It looked like this. Okay, and I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, just, you know, inquiring minds want to know. I think mine was somewhere between three and four, Right? And I would assume that if we did this same exercise with this room, the distribution would be pretty similar. Okay? We're all over the scale. Some of us are higher than others. None of us is knocking it out of the park, which means we all got to fight. We got to help each other fight. And maybe you feel this. Maybe it's just me. But I tend to think that my pathway to more joy is slowing up on the pouring out into others. That's what I tend to think. Now, I'm an Enneagram 5. I got to steward the goods. Got to steward the goods, you know. Got to hold on to the reserves. That's, that's what I, it's kind of the motto for me, you know. I need to isolate myself and find a cabin in the woods. Again, don't hear me say that that might be bad. You know, learning to slow down can be a good thing if you need to, right? I'm slowing down. I'm going to take a week of vacation here pretty soon. And knowing your limits, Sabbathing well, Knowing how you recharge and renew is good. Self-care is good, but self-care can also easily become idolatrous. Did you know that? It can. 
And you're going to need other strong Christians around you to help you discern the difference between the two. Especially if you're prone like me to being a little bit more of an introverted hermit to begin with. (laughs) Because real joy, according to this passage, according to this passage at least, is found in looking forward to being with Jesus forever while living for others now. Which means it's right here for us to enjoy. Right now. As I've been fighting for joy and praying and reflecting on the last 20 months and and all of this, I've been asking myself the question, what's stealing my joy? That's a good question for you to ask yourself this morning and this month. What's stealing my joy? As I've wrestled to answer that question from my own heart, I've been able to roll most of it up under three categories that I want to share with you this morning. These certainly aren't the only joy thieves in the world, but they might just be stealing your joy too. If you think about this as like a dartboard, this is sort of like my bullseye. And so for you, they might kind of feel like, eh, it's kind of around there somewhere, but you're not quite hitting it. You're going to have to do some homework. You're going to have to ask this question for yourself. But some of these might be helpful for you as I roll them up for me. The first is, for me, control. Control. I like control. We still being honest here? Is it, is it all right if I be honest? I like control. And listen, not because I like to be on a power trip or because it does something to like feed my ego. It's not that I love being, being in control. It's more that I don't like feeling out of control. There's a difference. I like order. I like structure. I like routine. You spontaneous people freak me out a little bit, okay? Just saying. And I'm a creature of habit, and when something gets jacked with, I feel a little bit out of control, and I'll be honest, it steals my joy. steals my joy. Now think about the last 20 months. (laughs) Has anyone felt for a moment, I got this all under control? (laughs) No way! No, it's not at all. That's actually the problem with control. We're not in it. We don't have it. And what I, maybe some of you, have to surrender to is the false assumption that in order to be joyful, I need to be in control. It's a lie. It's a lie. No, our attempts to be in control, because we're not ultimately in control, our attempts to be in control inevitably lead us to unhappiness because the project itself is futile to begin with. You could turn that around and say it another way. I don't have to be in control to have joy. In fact, I'm not in control, cannot be in control, and therefore to base my joy on control is utterly futile and therefore promises unhappiness. Paul knew this. He was surrendered to it, actually. Look look at chapter 2, verse 17 in Philippians. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith... I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Don't you want to be a little bit more like Paul? Surrendered in that way? Here's some good news for you. You don't have to be in control. See, it's not just that you're not in control and can't be. That sounds like bad news to control freaks like me. No, the good news that counters that bad news is... You don't have to be. Whatever is going on in your life right now, whatever feels out of control and therefore maybe robbing you of joy, listen to me. 
You don't have to be in control because Jesus is. And I pray that that releases a little bit of maybe burden and pressure you might be feeling this morning, but burden and pressure that might just be robbing you of joy. Control can be a thief when it comes to joy. It breaks in and it robs you of it. A second thief, again, these are for my own life. You've got to do your own homework if none of these hit home. But a second one for me is what I'll call counterfeits. Counterfeits. By counterfeits, what I mean is looking for joy, expecting joy. Listen to me carefully. Sometimes even subconsciously finding our joy in the wrong places. And because our world doesn't know the true source of joy, it is constantly, constantly marketing counterfeits, pseudo-joys to us. Directly through advertising, indirectly through the air we breathe, which is laced with counterfeit joys. We're just breathing it in all the time, we don't even realize it. And because we're so immersed in it, we're always tempted to look for joy in a counterfeit. A new phone, a trip, a different job, a bottle, a house, a new house, sex, more sex, a new season of your favorite TV show, a party. These are all what the Bible would call broken cisterns. And one of the things that my spirit loves about God that my flesh is not a real big fan of is that God will use things. He'll use circumstances and events. He might be doing this in your life right now and he'll expose our counterfeit sources of joy. Let me give you an example. Let's just say your name is Todd, right? And subconsciously, you haven't really been aware of it, but subconsciously, somewhere subconsciously, you have been looking for joy and finding it even in the broken cistern of a growing church. (laughs) And then 2020 and 2021 comes along, and all of a sudden, that subconscious finding of joy becomes the conscious lack of joy. Why? Because it was a counterfeit source of joy all along. And after a few moments, or in my case, months, you know, 20 of them, uh, over months of your flesh just kicking and pouting, throwing a little pity party for one, right? You begin to realize this too has been a kindness of God. It's been a kindness of Him, of Him weaning me off a pseudo joy, a counterfeit. You know, the search for joy is actually big part of my story. Um, It's part of what drew me to Christ to begin with. As a 21-year-old non-Christian punk, slowly realizing that none of the pleasures of the world were going to provide lasting joy. And I tried just about all of them I could find. And I started asking myself, like, where am I going to find it? Where am I going to find it? Well, I found it in Jesus. Found it in Jesus, the true source. And yet, I'm still tempted, aren't I? To go looking for it somewhere else. It's like I got an iPhone 13 for Christmas and I'm already looking for the 14. Where is it? You know? I've been reflecting and meditating on this old quote that I just love from Thomas Merton on contentment lately. I put a little twist on it. Sharpen this reflection in the direction of joy. Here's the quote with my own twist. Merton says, be content, be content. Struck that out, but be joyful. 
because we're preaching on joy. Be joyful. We are the body of Christ. We have found him. He has found us. We are in him. He is in us. And there's nothing further to look for except the deepening of this life we already possess. Be joyful. (laughs) Real joy, true joy, lasting joy isn't found in the counterfeits, friends. It's found in Jesus. Which means if you're a Christian, you already have it. There's nothing more to look for except the deepening of that which you already possess. And then thirdly, third joy thief that I came up with as I exegeted my own heart in preparation for this morning, which wasn't fun but had to do it, circumstances. And I thought this morning I actually probably could have called this one uh, current events. Still would have got the alliteration down. Okay, the C's, you see that? Three C's. I'm kind of proud of that circumstances. It's been a lot, hasn't it? Um, Global trauma, pandemic, political unrest, social strife, economic uncertainty, church upheaval, vaccines, masks, mandates, or resistance, whichever side you're on on that. That's just the stuff going on outside of you. That doesn't even count what's going on inside. I'm just talking about everybody else's life right now, not even yours. The great resignation, the great migration, the great sort, whatever you want to call it, If I steep myself in all that, in all the circumstances of the world, if I spend too much time with the news, it robs my joy. It's like a car accident, isn't it? The news. It's like you you can't look away. You, You can't not look at it. Have you tried? Fear and anger sell. And so we keep going back, we keep, we keep clicking, we keep scrolling, we keep downloading, we keep listening, we can't look away. And all that fear, all that anger, immersing ourselves in too much of the circumstances of the entirety of the world, by the way, it robs our joy. And some of us, what we need to do is take a fast from the news for a week, or maybe a month. I'm not advocating that we turn a blind eye to the reality of the world, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, you know... Go find some sand and stick your head in it for a while. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we must keep our eyes more widely open to the super reality of the world. It's tempting, isn't it? When you read or listen to the news to functionally turn Jesus into Humpty Dumpty. It's tempting. Like he somehow fell off his throne, is in a million pieces, and the world's going to hell in a handbasket now. Nobody can put him back together again. That's not reality. It's not not Christian reality, which means it's not real reality. No, reality, super reality, reminds us Jesus hasn't fallen off the throne. None of this has taken him by surprise. He's not frantic, he's not worried, he hasn't given up, he hasn't ceased to be sovereign. He's He's not on sabbatical. He hasn't, you know, suddenly given up on working all things together for good for those who love him. He's still in on that. He's still good on that one. And so when we start to feel our joy getting mugged from all the circumstances of the world, it's not merely that we need to close ourselves off to that half of reality. It's that we need to open ourselves up more fully to the other half of reality. The reality of Jesus. 
Look, I mean, the, the world is screaming at us, isn't it? Just up in your face. Hysteria and rage and franticness. You'd feel that way too if you only had one half of reality. The reason the world is screaming so much is that the world thinks that here and now is all that we have to be okay. And so we got to make it all okay. And I hate to break it to the world, but it's not going to be all okay. Not until Jesus returns. I mean, think about this one. One day, for each and every one of us, every single person in this room, the oldest to the youngest, every single person in this room, one day it will really, really, really not be okay. Eventually, something will get you. Car accident, a virus, heart disease, autoimmune, cancer, age. And if it doesn't end suddenly, that's going to be really difficult. It may even be more difficult on those around you who love you. But remember, remember, remember the other half of reality that reminds us that because you belong to Jesus, that's actually going to be the greatest day of your life. <laughs> to die is gain. We literally have nothing to fear. I mean, worst case scenario is actually the best case scenario when you belong to Jesus. So no matter the circumstances, we can have joy. And listen, I don't say that in any way to minimize your pain. But to remind you, one day, this is our hope. One day, all that pain will be washed away. And as we lift our heads from the pain to the promise, we can experience joy even in the midst of pain. Look, some of you came in here this morning full of joy, sailing with joy. And actually, right now you're thinking, I thought this series was going to be on joy. You know, like, what's going on? Do I need to find a different church for Advent? The answer is no, okay? Because you can always find more joy in Jesus. And joy isn't the same as happiness, right? It, 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 it can, um, we can find more and more and more of it. And we, we're going to have to fight for it. We need to fight for it. And God might just have you, if you're sailing in joy, God might just have you right now to help others fight for joy here. So remember, we do this together. Others of you, you've limped in here this morning and you're thinking, if I don't find joy soon, if I don't find it, I don't know if I'll make it to Christmas I, or let alone make it through Christmas. Wherever you're at on that spectrum this morning, I really want you to hear Jesus' words on this. Do you know that Jesus speaks directly to the topic of joy? Directly to it. Here's what Jesus said. John 15. You might need to move the little ribbon bookmark in your Bible to John 15 this week. But listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus speak directly on this. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. He says it to the disciples, and by extension, he's saying it today to you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, 
and that your joy may be full. Notice how this all begins. It all begins with Jesus saying, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus is saying to you this morning, I perfectly love you. And if you need to know how much, simply look at how much the Father has loved me. That's what he says. Anybody here have any idea how much the Father has loved Jesus the Son? Any idea? Anybody want to try to quantify that, right? I mean, think of the person that you love the most in your life and now subtract out all the sin, multiply it times perfection, and take it to the exponent of infinity. That's what we're talking about here. We can't quantify it. It's impossible. That's how much the Father loves the Son, and Jesus says, that's how much I love you. Do you believe that this morning? It's true. It's actually true whether you believe it or not. Our struggle is to believe that it's true, to fight to believe that it's true. And then guess, guess what accompanies guess what accompanies the love of Jesus? The joy of Jesus. They're like liquid nailed together. <laughs> With the love of Jesus comes the joy of Jesus. Abide in my love. Receive my love, he says. And you'll receive my joy. See, we know, don't we, that being loved by Jesus is not something we achieve. It's something to be received. Jesus says again to you this morning, receive my love. And when you receive my love, you receive my joy. Joy is attached to it. Joy, real joy, lasting joy is received by faith. It comes accompanying the love of Jesus. And the result, there in verse 10, we walk in obedience. Not so that he will love us, but because he already has. Will you receive the love of Jesus this morning? And if you're one of those people saying, Pastor Todd, I already have. Would you receive it again? And again? And again? Every day, every moment, and as you receive the love of Jesus, will you receive his joy? Joy is found in Jesus And Jesus' desire is that as you receive his joy, your joy may be what? You remember? Full. Full. Let's pray. Father, remind us now that in Jesus we have joy. There's no need for us to to keep looking. And so this Advent season, Lord, we, we thank you for sending Jesus for us. Thank you for his first Advent. And, and Holy Spirit, would you fill us with joy, the, the real stuff? Would you fill us with that this Christmas season? As we rest a little, sure, maybe. But even more, as we live for others and look forward to the second Advent, And we pray this in the joyful name of Jesus today. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.